Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joining today, he's a platinum-selling musician, inventor, artist, and entrepreneur. It's Chad Gerber. How are you doing today, Chad? I am fantastic. A little hungry, a little hungry, but otherwise fantastic. How are you? Doing good. We are so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what did you like doing growing up? Oh, man. Uh, so I grew up in Billings, Montana, which is basically it's kind of a blue collar industrial town. Um, and it's a bit disconnected from everything. So uh, I liked to do a lot of weird stuff, really, like you would in any town. Um, <laughs> not necessarily like, you know, throwing rocks off of bridges or anything. But uh, at an early age, I found myself drawn to uh, music and ripping apart electronics. So, oh. and like I had, I liked, you know, I did the normal stuff with like friends and baseball and, and exploring ditches for, you know, things. But for the most part, I kind of kept gravitating around uh, electronics, uh, RF type stuff, radios, scanners, uh, music. My mother made me start taking guitar lessons when I was about eight. Um, and then at some point the music part clicked. But the electronics part was still just like a passion thing. So other than that, though, like, you know, your, your usual stuff, uh, riding bicycles and jumping my friends and falling off of roofs, um, you know, <laughs> that old stuff. Typical kid thing is falling off of roofs. Typical kid things. I was a bit, I was a bit wild, but uh, I never broke any bones. I, and I don't think I broke anyone else's bones. So well, that's it good. good. It was a good childhood. You know what I mean? More going on the ripping apart electronics. What was your go-to electronics to rip apart? Uh, TV remotes. When I was really, really little, it was TV remotes. I also liked to make uh, vinyl players out of like a pencil and like a vinyl record and a needle, that kind of thing. But I like taking apart TV remotes and calculators, uh, old crystal uh, police scanners, um, walkie-talkies. Uh, you know, any of the fun stuff, I guess. I never really got into like taking apart microwaves or anything because they're just big and <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what that does. But um, but yeah, my and my parents would let me, I think as long as I wasn't, you know, doing anything stupid outside, really, they were like, Yeah, just take stuff apart, it's broken anyways. And I'd, you know, blow the circuits in the house periodically plugging things in, but I thought that was just kind of what you do when you're a kid. That I think that's a first for me. I mean, you have those typical <laughs> where kids will just break things and things like that. Yeah. But it sounds like you had like a mission with each item. Like I'm thinking, I mean, who knows? No, it's true. No, it's true. Uh, it drove me nuts that I didn't understand how uh, TV remotes worked. And and this is back before we just had information at our fingertips. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But like I knew it had a little bulb on it. And I was like, why does it have a bulb if there's no light? But it's an infrared light. So, like, I just didn't understand that. So, what I just started doing is really, for a very long time, experimenting with how far it reflects, the distances. And then, you know, I started reflecting, trying to, like, off my eyeball. Is that going to be enough for the TV to get the sensors? And um, so that one took a while. And then once I, I kind of, I didn't entirely figure it out because I could not see the light. But I knew it was something to do with a light pattern. And then I moved on to... You know, yeah, like if my if my parents were like, hey, this is a broken phone. It doesn't work anymore. Then I would rip the magnets out of it. And I have no idea what I was doing. I think I was just psychotic. My mom thought I was going to be a serial killer. Oh, and I was like, I'm just taking things apart. It's what kids do. <laughs> <laughs> 
You talked about starting guitar lessons at a young age. What music was yeah. an inspiration for you or what did you enjoy growing up listening to? Um, so I grew, when, I, when I was growing up, we did not really listen to music at all, uh, like really ever. And there's not really any specific reason as to why. But what would happen is that my mom would sometimes let me listen to uh, like public radio, like classical music and jazz music and stuff like that. So I found myself listening to a lot of that um which is then it then that rolled into starting classical music mm -hmm. uh but then it started to be like oldies radio uh you know whatever's playing so i started to kind of just turn on the oldies radio and play along with like a lot of rock classics and stuff and just try to like do my own leads and supplemental melody lines and things like that so it's really eclectic i grew up in this rural area so there's really no no live music scene nowhere to go kind of check music out um and when i got to high school i started sneaking into concerts snuck into like a tool concert and that's nice like sneak backstage to try to meet managers and get yelled at and then you know eventually some of these people like let me come onto the circus i guess did you ever want to like go outside of the montana area to go see concerts and things like that or you were happy with like <laughs> no, thinking about the rural area i wanted out like like, I, it was a cool place to grow up, but I knew pretty quick that what I wanted to do just did not exist there. Mm. So, um, so when I, I basically like music videos and MTV, any of that kind of stuff, I was just like, how do I get there? Like, it was a different universe to me. Um, and so a lot of then my mission became like trying to find people, email people, sneak into concerts and just trying to be like, how do I get into this freak show and, and get out? And then, um. I finally connected some dots and then at like 17 people started to fly me out to play guitar and stuff. Wow. And then I started to kind of, it started in Miami. So I was like 17 in Miami doing music and I kind of got to see like, okay, getting like, this is how it works. So it was like a bittersweet thing where you, know, you grow up in your area and you're like, Oh, I just, I love it. And it's great. But I was like, I, I have, I will die if I do not get out of here and do what I'm supposed to be doing. So, uh, so yeah, then I uprooted and, finally moved at like i don't know when it was 21 22 something like that uh and just came to la on some credit cards <laughs> sometimes we're asked that dream job was music always in that vision plan for you or did you have that other dream job that you're you're curious about um no music was it like for a while i wanted to be a professional baseball player because it was very easy for me and I, I enjoyed it a lot, but I did not have the mental capacity for the game. So I found myself <laughs> playing baseball and like loving it and all that. And all I could think about was when I get home, I can't wait to try this melody out and I'm going to write something about this. So there's like a point where I was like, okay, clearly that's taking everything over. So, and then after I accepted it, I was like, this 100% is what I am. I'm going to do. Um, no matter what I got to do to do it. So then it came down to where am I going to move to do it? And it was between LA, New York, Miami, and then Dallas. Cause I knew a couple of people in Dallas, Texas, and then uh, LA, I sent some stuff to LA and the, and the people here were like, you should come do this. So like, all right. So I just popped in, but yeah, there's always like, this is what I have to do. And people would laugh at me and be like, you know how many people can do music? I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man, but I'm still going to try. <laughs> 
Exactly. I mean, you think about all the people nowadays, a lot of people are trying to get their name out there and it's just competition galore. And you just have to have that lucky hit or Mm -hmm. be able to find that fan base that shares it 20,000 times to get it out to a broad audience. Yeah. Like it's gotten very weird. The other thing I've noticed uh, is that like for me, it was music or die. So it doesn't matter what, if you plot me anywhere in time, I would have probably been a street busker or, you know, like we're playing a lute wearing tights or something like that. But now a lot of people, it seems like the majority of them first want the recognition and fame and connection and mm-hmm. all that, then the art. But for me, I was like, no, this is like art. And then I need to try to figure out how to build upon that. Um, so that helped me a lot to keep like a foundational piece of what it was I was trying to do versus chasing platform fads and things like that. Um, so like my goal was like, I want to be, you know, a respectable musician and do all these different things and if people know about it and know me great if not i don't it's fine um so i think the landscape's totally weird now because i don't really i i have no idea how to know but i don't think very many people are really in it for the passion for the art versus what's my gimmick so that i can get kind of uh some hits on tiktok i actually can agree with that from an outsider like you can definitely yeah. can, i mean I'm not doing this to be famous. I mean, I'm like down here at the level, but I'm more about the craft. And I can tell basically you are about the craft of the music and the inspiration and wanting to share your love. I mean, just looking at your room that you're in, if you're listening to this, you got to go to the video, but just the room that you're in, it shows that you care about it. Going to LA is a pretty expensive trip. (laughs) Let's just say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What is it? Was it hard to start out in music without maybe? Did you have that education oh, wanting to go there, or was it just finding that gig and get going? It was scratching and clawing and like using my teeth to get in. So I maxed out. I basically paid for you know gas on a credit card, and and then got a deposit down on a just horrible, horrible apartment with like oh. gangs around it and everything else. And, uh, but it was enough to be here. Yeah. And then I was like, uh, and like in my family, even though a lot of them are like, they're like, I don't know, but clue what you're doing. I was raised with this thing of like, but if you're going to do something like, you know, I just, someone's always working harder than you. There's always somebody more talented than you. There's always somebody with more resources than you. So like, you got to fight, you got to fight for this. So when I showed up, it was like, um, I knew one person in LA and it was just kind of like, hey, where where are you at? And do you know anybody here? And he had been mm-hmm. here for like six months or something. And that was just a matter of like going somewhere and being like, hi, my name's Chad. What's your name? And um, weirdly enough, the very the very first day that I went out, I ran into a then rapper named Aloe Black, who I met at something. And he was like, you know, my name's Aloe. And what do you do? And I was like, I'm a musician. I just got here. We struck up a conversation and the next thing I know, he's like, why don't you come and record at my place? And we started kind of collaborating on music. And then, you know, I made phone call. I'd call clubs and everybody else. I just grinded, you know, um, I wasn't interested in the scene for the hangout aspect. Mm-hmm. But that was fun. But I was like, no, I want to I want to play at the Viper Room and on the Sunset Strip. And I got to build this up and get the labels talking to me. So it was very much like attack and go out of the gate, um, you know, and my social life probably suffered a bit. But it was worth it. And and ultimately, that's kind of the only way to get through it. Most people that go after it, I can't speak for like, you know, New York or other 
cities, but here it's about a year and a half. And then they go, it's too hard. And then they, yeah. And then they leave. But for me, it was like, I have no choice. There is no, that's it. So either I make this happen or I'm going to be 85 years old, still playing on the sunset strip. <laughs> so I was like, there is no plan B that I guess for me, that was the first thing is like, there is no plan B. This is it. And then once I accepted that, it was like, let's just do what we got to do. And, and then, uh, get it done and be patient you know was there any of the beginning gigs that you got that still play a memorable part in your journey that's like wow i can't believe i'm here at least but it's the start (laughs) to something better yeah like the crap the crappy gigs right like the dumb ones i'm not gonna i'm not gonna comment there's a lot most (laughs) most of them were terrible what's weird is that like so I had all these different gigs around around LA and stuff. Uh, playing the Viper Room was a really big deal. I was really excited to play there the first time, just because it's like iconic and to be on a stage that like Paul McCartney's been in here and like Johnny Cash, all these people, right? Um, but the weird part is, <laughs> this is probably like another life lesson thing. The misadventures are the ones that I always remember, and the good stuff is always like, yeah, that was a good show. But then there's the one where the one dude threatened to throw like a beer bottle at me. There's the other one where this person did this. There's the other one where these people threatened to like beat up the band in the parking lot. Like I find that those, which at the time were massive failures, like where you go home and you're just like, what am I doing with my life? Mm -hmm. But then years later, it's like, it's so weird. But you look back and you're like, I'm so glad that that happened because I've had a million cool shows. But the ones that are off the rails are the ones that like I can sit and just laugh about. You know, yeah. when I when I think over it, but I'll say this: the one that always keeps coming back to me, though, other than all the failures and things not working and people yelling at us and whatever, is that I went to this show. I did it as a joint bill, and I forgot the name of this band, but um, it's the tiniest stage in the world. And the band that was playing, they did like seventies rock, but there were two twin brothers from San Francisco, and they both were honestly they might have been like six eight each of them and they kind of look like hulk hogan and um and so when their band started playing they're really good too they looked like giant hulk hogan animatronics on a tiny little stage with huge hair oh my god (laughs) and i was like i don't know what i'm witnessing but this is the greatest band in the world and then uh i don't know i don't know what happened to him probably became software engineers (laughs) (laughs) what would you say your music style is like if someone had to kind of describe the music you create even now, what yeah. would that style be? I mean, I have my own names for it. a lot of people call it cinematic. No matter what I do, everybody seems to come back to being like, it's, it would be great in a movie. Um, but I think for me, my foundational piece, whether I'm doing like pop music or like I like electronic music, because the way I see electronic music is that it's. I wanted to be a classical composer mm-hmm. at one point, like way, way back, but. It's, nobody like really composes new music you just play dead people's music so electronic music is kind of like that you can make it however you want and it ha- doesn't have to fit into a mold so underground electronic music is like what i love um but most people even with that they'll end up saying like most of my stuff sounds cinematic or like it goes and it'd be good for movies and stuff like that and i have scored some of that but underground electronic um emotional sometimes dark sometimes just moody i guess does your music play any effect with something that you've gone through or is it a reflection of like your emotions or things that you've experienced 
Yeah, it's a hundred percent therapy. So if I'm doing like, if I'm doing major label stuff, that's predominantly guitar or some like lyric writing. And when I do guitar stuff, it's, you know, more fitting it for what we're working on. It's a very collaborative thing. But if it's like my Woodrow Gerber personal stuff, it's mm-hmm. 100% like therapy session, hard times, good times. You know, what am I doing right now in this chunk of my life? But yeah, that is, it's a diary. Um, it's so yeah, Woodrow Gerber is, is absolutely a soundtrack to my life. Uh, and then the projects that actually like pay, because underground music is exactly a, a bundle of money. The label stuff, you know, I go in there and I, I'm trying to like, elevate the track and the song that we're doing and you know but my personal stuff is 100 raw so that that kind of music that's more emotional yeah. are the lyrics something like if a family member or a friend's heard it they maybe didn't know about you or didn't know you were going through that and it was kind of like a conversational starter that mm-hmm. you're able to express more like would they you mean would they be able to pick it out and be like what is that yeah, like, would they be asking, like, didn't know this about you? Or what's the meaning behind these lyrics? Kind of getting to know you a little bit more. Or even, like, people that are your fans. They kind of are want, qu- not questioning, but they're wanting to know more about the meaning behind your lyrics. Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. So, actually, here's what happened is that, um, is that and I still, I'll still write lyrics and stuff for, like, the label projects. But what I found with my stuff was that and I also go by how I'm feeling but I kind of started to phase out doing vocals or lyrics in my electronic music because mm-hmm. I didn't like how it was shaping the narrative for the listener and I wanted it to be like I'm I'm pouring out this sound and vibe because of what's going on in my life mm-hmm. but I don't want to tell the listener what it's about because I want them to attach their meaning to it instead so I actually started to kind of phase out the lyrics some of the, I think the first Woodrow Gerber album was all lyrics so it was like talking about just different things relationships and all that but as i went on i just kind of phased out the vocal element because again going kind of back to classical music um i liked the feeling of just letting the brain subconsciously lock onto it and people Mm -hmm. would then feed it into their life as their soundtrack versus like if you're on a drive and this song's about partying all night you know and you're on your way to a funeral, you're not going to want to really listen to that track. (laughs) (laughs) So I like, yeah. So I I basically kind of, I phased out lyrics and I'm, I go back and forth on all the time. Like I'm, I'm in pre, pre, pre production on the next record, my own Mm -hmm. underground record. And I keep going back and forth. I'm like, you know, maybe I should do another uh, album with lyrics and vocals on it again. Um, But I don't know. That's, it's a never ending battle in my head between exactly that. (laughs) Is there a song that for someone that's listening, that's never heard your music before, yeah. that is a good go-to to kind of really understand your personality and the song? Ooh, like the personality that I present to the world or my actual, pres- the one that I hide from the world? Well, whichever one that you think is a good starting point that kind of will get them kind of going on. Ooh, okay. I want to know more. I want to listen to more. Yeah. You know, I have, I'm terrible at answering that. (laughs) Because like, I, like the last album I did is a cyber wave album. So it's like, it's a horror cyber wave album. And so it's got like synthesizers and eighties vibes and it's kind of dark. And it's more about like a time in my mind, like uh, environmentally where I was when I was a kid and like soundtracking a, essentially a soundtrack, a chunk of my life from back in the day. But then 
I'd say the last two records are the ones I would recommend. Uh, Liquid Data, which is like absolutely chill. And then uh, the follow-up record is completely a bipolar take on it, which then goes into the cyber cyber wave, which is called uh, Night at the Metro. <laughs> so I don't know. But then like my fans, they really like uh, this album called XO. It has a lot of just variety to it. And it's a huge album. I think there's like 20 tracks on it or something. Um, but there is one song called Find... I think it's called Find My Way. Find Your Way. Find Someone's Way. And that is... I feel like one of the best songs I've made that kind of really connects a moment in time that I was experiencing and it came out exactly how I wanted it. So man, that's not a, that doesn't answer your question at all, but uh, <laughs> thanks for, thanks for listening everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, you gave everyone a few different pieces. to listen. Yeah, what, what am I a politician over here? I'm like, geez, everyone's going to basically listen to this whole entire episode and they're going to go to youtube Spotify, <laughs> apple music wherever they're going to listen to every single one that you just met oh man that's the problem is i'm like i man i just vomited out and you know because i'll get i get people they're like i love this one song it's just phenomenal and i'm like that's fantastic and i don't tell them i'm like i hate that song i absolutely <laughs> hated the way it turned out it was like wrestling you know wrestling with something and then you finally kind of get it sort of and then that's the one that people love to death. And that's the one that I, I skip every single time it ever shows up in my shuffle. I always get worried when I interview musicians because I will say a song that I like of theirs and they'll be like, <laughs> why that one? And I go, <laughs> well, it came. And then I tell them the reasoning it, I like yeah. it. And they're like, oh, but that shows how every listener picks a certain song because yeah. of a completely different reason than the next person. And that's exactly. so special about music is, I could listen to one song of yours. Another person can listen to another, the yeah. same song. We could both have two different opinions on it or yeah. we can relate or reflect in different ways. And that's, what's so powerful about music. Exactly. And that's what I love about it. I actually, I love it when people are like, I love this one song, you know, I guess one is called like chalky eyes. And that was from another band I was in, but it's electronic based song. And, um, and, and I, I like the song too, but these people, you know, this they're like, this is like the best, my favorite song ever. And I cannot relate to that, but that is, that is why I got rid of it in the first place. Cause it's, it's almost in a way, like I have this thing floating around my head and it means a lot to me because I'm experiencing it, but I need to get rid of it. And hopefully mm -hmm. somebody else will take it and whatever they make out of it, I'm thrilled to death. So even the mm -hmm. songs that are really the worst songs I've ever made. And someone's like, I love that song. It actually makes me feel fantastic because I'm like, man, I'm glad you love it. I hate it, but man, I'm thrilled somebody loves it. <laughs> <laughs> With music nowadays, COVID did play a big hit for a lot of musicians yeah. with dates being cut because travel. Yeah. How did that play an effect for you? Oh, man, that sent me into a psychological spiral, really. Uh, I was about to go play Lollapalooza Brazil. And then I was supposed to do like Tomorrowland in Europe and all these cool things, right? And it just was all like it's exploded. On. Um and but what it did was it kind of like I feel like it like reformatted my brain. It partitioned it into two or three different pieces where I was like, okay, well, the world is on hold, music is on hold. I can either like uh just eat pizza and play video games until this is over. Or maybe I'll kind of like dust off some of my other creative endeavors that I just assumed would never matter. 
Mm-hmm. And that was like the technology aspect of it. So, I mean, I've, and through music over the years, you really, if you want to survive in the game, you have to be good at just adapting and pivoting constantly. Yep. Like the second that you try to go down with your ship, like if you're like, I love rock and roll to the end, there will be an end and you will die with it. But you can adapt. Do you know what I mean? So I saw it. I always try to take things like that. So when that stuff hit the fan and I lost huge dates, um, all kinds of just really cool stuff. So the first thing I was like, well, I'm going to make my new album that's going to just vomit, get all of this out, how I feel right now. That was that was liquid data. So that's my COVID album. And I made that like in the first chunk of COVID. And then once that was done, I was like, I was still working on some different tracks for for different with different groups and collaborating remotely, which was just it's miserable to do, which is why the mellow scene came to be. But I was like, you know, I I just need to explore these other things in my head that are just fantasies that are now becoming applicable into the world because the world is more disconnected in COVID. And it was getting more disconnected even before COVID in a way. So I started to explore like these pipe dream ideas that I would just fantasize about on tour and stuff while mm-hmm. traveling. And I found that I started to get more, a thousand times more creative fulfillment from what I was from that than what I was with music. Cause music started to become exceptionally formulaic due to just social media and streaming and the nature of it, where everybody was just trying to really hit a mark. And with this other stuff, I was like, there is no format or mark. It's like repainting or just like, it's like orchestrating something. So I, um, yeah, so it was a mentally, it was an extremely complicated year. I was up and down constantly. One day I'm like through the moon, this is up to the moon, this is great. Next day I'm like, this is I'm in a nightmare. Um, but I chose to I chose to try to I use the situation. Um, because I was like, if I don't choose if I don't choose how I'm gonna ride this thing, I will totally fall apart. So I I was like, first thing I do, I need to get my brain in check. I need to get my physical state in check. I need to get like everything. So I became like militant, really militant, like wake up, work out, do this, you know, focus, quiet time, do this, that like, and, um, and I found that like, it helped me to get through it. And then it also opened up about a million different things that would have never existed otherwise. So COVID, I have a mixed, mixed feelings about it, but essentially it like it, opened the rest of my brain wide open and I am grateful for for that. I love how you mentioned adaptability because I think that's a topic or a situation that everyone had to go through and even besides the music industry you had companies changing their platforms, athletes changing how did they train, you have people like in podcasting create and kind of envision how do we do interviews now? Like the power of Zoom came about. <laughs> But it's so true, especially with musicians, because social media now is a big platform for musicians. How do they be able to connect with their fans in a way that they can't? You have Instagram lives, Mm -hmm. content clubs, not content clubs, but like groups. Sounds like an app, actually. (laughs) Check out my new app. There's adaptability right there. I just came up with something new. You just made you just made a freaking platform (laughs) content. But even with the, even the change where CDs to streaming platforms, it's like that kind of changed how musicians. Yeah. If you had to describe your journey and how you adapt in one word about yourself, what would that one word be? Uh, Resolve. I think hopefully that's the right one. Unbreak. Usually I tie it with unbreakable resolve. I take great 
pride in being able to take a beating. Okay. Like I feel like I feel like in life, if you can take a beating far more than you can lash out, like that doesn't really do anything. If you can take a beating, you're gonna win. So as long as you kind of know this sucks, <laughs> this hurts, but it's not forever. It's it's gonna be for a window of time. So for me, it's all about being having unbreakable resolve where things are hitting the fan, stuff's falling apart, wheels are coming off. And it's like, I can either go into the fetal position or take a deep breath, analyze the situation. And then, uh, you know what, let's take those tires that popped off. Let's sell them off individually and make a profit. And then let's take that engine apart and turn into something else. Like it's, to me, life is Legos. Every yeah. bad situation can be reworked into something else. It's not fun. It sucks and it's hard. But the other option is you just roll over and die. <laughs> So, but doesn't that resolve. doesn't that kind of go with what you just talked about earlier where you don't take there's no giving up when you went yeah. to la you were going to do anything to make it work out there because there was no reason to, there was no going right. back and kind of going back. This situation taking the beating you're going to yeah. fight claw your way through that obstacle because yeah. you know that getting onto the other side it's going to be worth the reward in a way absolutely and you come out stronger that's yeah. the thing is everybody, the second they start getting life starts kicking them down or whatever, it's it's a natural instinctual thing to be like, okay, enough, 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 enough. But the, the, the truth is, if you stick it out, you come out far stronger. And then the next time that something of the same magnitude hits you, you're already ready for it. But yeah. then if it's a bigger version, you still got some edge on it. Like everything that hits you. Um, man, I heard the craziest thing today about the difference between villains and heroes. And I feel like this applies to it is that the difference between a hero and a villain, they always have the same backstory where the villain typically has like a scar or something to imply that they had trauma and childhood problems. And the hero is usually had childhood or some sort of a trauma. The difference is the hero says, I'm going to choose to not let this happen to anyone else. Mm -hmm. And the villain says, I am going to give back what the world has dealt to me yeah. and everybody gets to choose it and for me and again i'm a bit masochistic i'm like the villain side's easy it's easy to like to re uh, reciprocate pain and all that but if you can like harvest it and channel it then you get stronger from it you know so resolve take a beating it doesn't last forever and if it does you know eventually you'll be unconscious and don't know the difference anyways so we talked about your music journey. Do you, I always ask this question to every musician. Are you a fan of making music videos or do you prefer being in the studio, creating the songs more? You know, I love making music videos. I've been making them on like home video stuff since I was a little kid. I thought okay. it was the coolest thing in the world. And I, it's an excuse at the end of the day to just be stupid and hang out with people. So yeah they're really hard to make, especially if you're trying to hit a certain mark. So I like, I don't make them, I don't really jump in them like I used to, but uh, I love it. Cause I find it, it's just, it's an excuse for me to try really stupid ideas out and <laughs> see what happens. I mean, the last, the last video I did, and this is before pandemic stuff went crazy, but we shot it inside of a camper <laughs> and like, it was honestly probably like a hundred something degrees in there. So we're just like pouring sweat, having to take, you know, take breaks, go outside and like towel off. But it was like, it's so much fun, man. Like, so I love, I love making music videos. Something I mentioned at the very beginning is platinum selling musician. Having yeah. that title, what does that mean to you? Man, that, well, it means a lot to me on a 
personal like checklist goal thing. Uh, and also means that I can open more doors. Um, so for me, it was like, again, coming from rural Montana as a kid, mm-hmm. uh, doing music and anything really was next to it's, I would have a, I mean, it sounds stupid. I really would have had an easier time probably being an astronaut or a fighter pilot or something. So for like the platinum record for me is like a, you did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I could just die tomorrow. And at least on my checklist, I got that. But professionally, the biggest thing for me is that it allows me to open up different avenues of creativity Um, because music industry doesn't really based upon your credentials, like academically or anything like that. So you can't be like, I've got seven masters. Nobody cares. Um, (laughs) You have to have like gold, platinum, Grammys, something to open up the next level of stuff. So for me, it was like a check mark on my my goal list. But then also like, okay, now I can open up this entire massive book of the next phase. So it was like a door, it was a it was a key to open up a bunch of stuff. So yeah, it was a big deal. For me. Oh, I would be the same way. Is yeah. it you get to that first goal and then you're like, okay, what's next? What can yeah. I go after next? Like Yeah, like it's and it also makes you feel like you're not you're not insane. Like that was the other thing is like, you know, you do this for a long time and you're like, man, why am I do I suck? Am I just around people that think I'm good and I really suck? You kind of finally hit a mark where you're like, okay, okay. I think I actually sort of do know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But <laughs> you know. But for me, yes. Yeah, so for me, like, you know, I'm never one, I'm not a huge like awards person, but if it's on my checklist of like you know, I always like to hit goal marks, yep. even if they're arbitrary. Um, so yeah, hitting that one is like a, for me, it's like a video game. It unlocks. Now I'm like, yeah. got it. No, I unlocked the next level. You know? So I like it. <laughs> Looking at, you talked about Lollapalooza. Oh my God, I can't even say Yeah, Lollapalooza. Tomorrowland. Is there a dream venue or event that mm-hmm. you hope to be at and be a part of and share your love for music to the audience you know i still i would still like to return back to uh lollapalooza i think the one on my list that's been on my list for a while though is probably coachella just because okay. locally it's a thing however the industry keeps changing where now people go to Lollapalooza and they don't care at all about the music. They just take like selfies and like do like social media stuff. So everything keeps getting weird. Every time I'm like, if I can, I'm going to do this, but then like culture changes to the point where I'm like, well, that sounds stupid. So I would have to say, and this is, I'm not joking and I'm not (laughs) trying to be funny, but I would love to do a performance on a moon resort. I would love them to make a resort on the moon and do a festival on the moon and at that rate i'll i'll be like 135 <laughs> when that happens could you imagine the the tickets just to get to the moon for that yes, be like it's an eight hundred thousand dollar ticket i literally because your sal or your paycheck for that is so much that we gotta we just got a thousand percent markup and oh you know gosh, what dude. people are gonna pay that because they're like i was on the moon for that one concert that one festival that's what i mean Check. There's only one Woodstock. That's... There's only one Woodstock. No, we need Moon Moonstock. You talked about like how culture has changed. I always say to my, I'm like a huge fan of those EDM festivals. I haven't yeah. been to one, but yeah. people that know me, I mean, obviously, you can say I love neon lights and stuff. And me if too, I could, this would them. this would be a rave, and then you would have like a panic attack yeah. in the lights behind me. 
But I just look at it and I'd probably be the same way where I might not know who who is playing, but the atmosphere is more important to me because that is just something I enjoy. So when you were saying about the culture, I'm like, I'm probably that person that's going to be like, I need a photo. I need to say I'm here. Like, yeah. And then I would be like, okay, Shazam, who's playing right now? Right. Who is this? Yeah. And there's, and again, and it's not from a place of like, everyone sucks. Like Dead Mouse, he got, he he basically oh, said, I'm not playing any more stuff. He's, but what I'm saying is like culture changes. And again, artists of any kind, they either go, okay, where are we headed now? Or they go, this is dumb. And yeah. I'm, I don't, I don't, I'm not that person. But if it's not feeding my creative soul of music, then I'm just going to like pivot, which, and that's where like within, in my platform, Mellow Scene, it's more like, how do I facilitate what people want now and just change it a bit so the artist is also getting these fulfilled by it as well um but really at the end of the day like neon lights and all that my dream is to basically just live and exist in a cyberpunk world like if i had a choice i would just live in a future cyberpunk place i guess we'll probably be at the same place because i'd be the same way exactly so like we need our check marks you know, we need like the the bionic, like the eye thing. Did you see that? That what was that anime? That cyberpunk anime that was on Netflix? Man, it's phenomenal. I forget the name. I'm probably the worst person to ask about anime. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> that's totally that's totally fine. This was a cyber it was it was cyberpunk. That's the name. Of it. It's based on the video game. But anyways, like oh. it's all it's like features. Yeah, I'm a sucker for that stuff. So when you talk about those things, I have something in my Amazon cart that's literally goggles, but it's like neon light goggles. I saw it in a YouTube video and I say uh-huh. I told my friends, I'm gonna buy this. I have no reason to have it. I just you have, want it. You have it's every 70, it's only 70 bucks. You have every reason. I just saw a helmet, <laughs> a cyberpunk helmet that you like put on and it's the entire faceplate is like that daft punk oh, like, I'm black I'm in. thing. I know. I was like I was like, how can I buy that and just wear it everywhere? Like, I wear it to I work. Wear it like, to... if I'm yeah. working at home, no one needs to see me. I mean, I can do whatever I right? want. During COVID, I wore I wore the uh, symbiote Spider Man mask everywhere. <laughs> like, I literally went to stores wearing <laughs> wearing my my symbiote Spider Man, and then I wore like the hoodie, so it's kind of tapping into you know different types of Spider Man. But yeah, I'm a whatever. You talked about mellow scene, which is something outside of your music. Yeah. How did that get created? And what's the big mission you have for that company? Man. Okay. So it got created. I think a lot of it was from growing up again, talking on uh 10 meter radios and 11 meter radios. And I was in a rural area. So I would talk to people in like Jamaica and Australia. And it was just this idea that humans exist in different spaces and times, but we can still be together i mean like right now we're together but not really yeah then it was like how can i just how can i make it better uh and it really was kind of born out of so it's like this concept kind of bouncing around but then i was like in a studio majority of your creativity and stuff when you're making music comes from not speaking and um zoom just a two-dimensional format it's just really hard to like get that magical energy thing so it kind of became this thing of like how do i put us where we can all go into the same studio wherever we are in the world and just be together because studios are fun. Like it's just a blast being in the studio. And that's why music comes out of it. Cause you're having fun. If you're not, you're in the wrong studio. So it was like, how do I do this? And then I just kind of started to piece it together from my, again, all of my, at the time, useless knowledge of electronics and circuitry and audio and everything else. And 
And it really kind of kicked off because I was having meetings with Gibson Guitars about some different projects I wanted to work on. And I mentioned, I was like, and I want to, I'm going to do a VR studio thing. I'm going to build this device in 2025. And they were kind of like, well, wait, we want to, we want to know more about that. And it just snowballed. So it's like, yeah, let me get back to you. So I called up like my patent attorney and then called up these other people and it just exploded. And then what I found is that this, this device opened up all of my cyber dreams to be reality of like, being since I was gone as a kid, if I was like on planes playing music or if I was touring and stuff like that, I was missing out on things with friends or family and all all that. And I was like, well, what if I didn't have to be that way anymore? What if I could make it so that I'm a part of the evolution of just being together as humans? What if we could re remove space and we could all be together to the point of where our subconscious lets go of the fact that it's not actually us together. It's a representation. So I kind of just started to see, well, that fits with this. And that actually ties into this other project that I never thought would be a thing. And then this ties into this. So just kind of like snowballed. So the first foundational piece is essentially it's a Web3 music platform for the future of what music is. It doesn't um, it allows for musicians to be more than a musician because most musicians now they animate, they make these different things that subs, uh, supplement their music, but you can't experience it in the real world. And here you can. So like, it's sort of the, I don't know what to call the future artist, but it's what art is about to become. Everybody now is a musician. Everybody now is a comedian. Everybody now is an entertainer. Everybody's everything now. But there are people out there that want to combine it into a cohesive experience, and there's no way to do it. So this facilitates the evolution of this next phase of what we could be. And so it all kind of started to pop out of that. And then from there, it spiderwebs in to just a million different mixed reality experiences and live events and festivals. And it just kind of like all with the goal of getting every ounce of creativity out of an artist and into the world, uh, no longer bound by the laws of physics. Are you proud of what you've been able to accomplish with it? And especially during the time that we are in where technology is growing, technology is getting yeah. more and more powerful and you're creating something that is for the future. I think I will be proud. I'm proud of like milestones. So like building a prototype was ridiculously hard. Um, even just educating people to the point of understanding what it is I'm even trying to build was really hard. So those parts give me like, you know, like when I, when I first plugged it in and it was like working and I was just like, that was, I had a, I felt amazing. Um, but my problem is I don't, I, I, I legitimately struggle to ever be in the presence of any given situation. So the second it's out of the box and I turn it on, I'm like, yes. And then 30 seconds later, I'm 10 years ahead of what the fifth version needs to look like and what needs to be adjusted already. Um, so I don't really, the, I don't ever, it sounds horrible. I don't really ever enjoy anything because I'm always like, get them like, yeah. Okay. So what I need to do is, you know, I think a lot of people are like that. Um, but I am proud of, I think I'm proud of how excited artists are about it, uh, which I was not prepared for that. So like when I debuted it at CES in Las Vegas, I had a lot of musicians, like programmers and tech people who were like, well, I'm a, I'm a bass player. I'm a piano player. And, um, and some of them, uh, which I was not expecting this, were like tearing up about it because they felt so trapped because like I was in a band, then they all moved or I used to collaborate with my friend, but he now lives in a different country. And I was like, well, that doesn't matter anymore. And so it was a really emotional thing to like see people 
uh, almost like you can have that light, that artistic light that you're mm-hmm. snuffing out. It can be back on and it can exist in here and it can exist forever in this space. So for me, that was, that was probably the biggest one is seeing how people, musicians are like, this is how I, I continue and you know, my soul will live kind of thing. Something our listeners like is to really dive more deep into our guests. Talk about stuff that you enjoy doing outside of your career. What did you do on a daily basis? If it's a weekend, you have off time, what do you like to do that maybe fans or people don't know about you? <sighs> Man, honestly, the my, I guess the only thing I could probably throw out there is video games when I have time. But the problem is I love creating and I love like absorbing things that can help me to increase my creative palette. So I, I love going out to, if I go to art galleries, that's fantastic. Or obviously I'd say the beach is probably my reset zone. I'll just usually at night. I absolutely hate the day. I hate the sun. I usually try to do everything (laughs) at night. Uh, So I'll go to like the beach at night. There's nobody there, but for the most part, I'm obsessed and I'm addicted to wanting to push the innovation and creativity of myself. I just, I love doing it and I always have. So, you know, I, I love movies um, and I love video games if I have the time. Uh, but otherwise, I usually if I'm like, if I'm in a different city or country and I have a day off, I'll be like, well, I want to hit the museum because I want to absorb these artists' ideas and see mm-hmm. what I can do with that, you know? So, um. I mean, I still, I love everything that, you know, if I have time for it, going to like sports stuff is fun. Uh, but otherwise, man, I'm just, I'm lost in my head a lot and I like it, but movies, I'd say movies. I love movies and, and oh, comedy, comedy is my go-to. Um, that's like the one creative medium that I haven't dabbled in and it's not messed up for me. So like if I'm watching a movie, <laughs> I love movies, but I'm like, oh, that'd be cool. I love the score on this part. That would have been cool if they did this. Comedy is the only thing that I'll go to like comedy shows and stuff like that. I have no attachment to it and I'm unoffendable and I just absolutely <laughs> love comedy. Long answer. That was long. <laughs> Short answer is comedy. I should have just been like comedy. Next question. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listened to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Just don't. Just don't. <laughs> I would, you know, man, that's like, you just asked me like, what's the meaning of life? That's basically what that, that question is equal to, you know, I would say like, find out like, what does your soul heart, whatever you want to, you know, what does it want? You know, it doesn't always, you know, if you're seeking attention, right. And so like, I maybe I gotta be a YouTuber. That doesn't necessarily mean that's what you're craving. Maybe you're just craving the ability to make people laugh or mm-hmm. smile or change up. So I just say like, try to hone in and find out what it is you want, what it is you really, really, really want. And you do it for free or you do it for dirt cheap. You know, somebody's like, you can do this, but you're going to live in a studio apartment for the rest of your life. And you're like, that's totally fine. Find it. I think I feel like most people just, they scramble too much and they try to grab too many things. But if you find the first piece, it then leads to the next piece, the next piece. And then just accept the fact that it will suck but it will be worth it at the same time, as long as you don't give up. And um, my gosh, do not listen to people 
They have a million opinions about what you're doing. Everybody's got a little input and 99% of them are coming from a place of fear because they didn't do Jack and they were afraid to try it. So man, go fail, 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 fail. Try what you can do at the end of the day. You're not going to die. You know, and if you want to give up after trying stuff, you can always go get that one job or whatever. It's always going to be there, but you only have certain windows of like your, your uh, passions, you know, before they dry up unless you feed them. Well, Chad, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rice, the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. Man, thank you for having me on, Alex. This was fun. Hopefully something made sense. Tune in next time here. My next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel for the full length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.